I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at John 1 once again uh, this morning. You can find uh, the passage in your bulletins, of course, or on page 886 of those blue Bibles if you would like to follow along in them. Okay, as I said last week, what we're going to do and what I've done is I've hit the pause button on 1 Peter. I personally have really loved being in 1 Peter uh, for the entirety of the fall and really taking our time to work through that opening section uh, that we did. But we came to a nice stopping point in 1 Peter. We're going to hit the pause button and we'll rejoin it again in the new year. So as soon as we come uh, into the new year, we'll continue on because I think that's been uh, hopefully really profitable for us. Uh, But for the next few weeks, as we are preparing for Christmas, we're going to be focusing on that theme over the the next couple of weeks and into the uh, Sunday after Christmas. If I recall my own preaching correctly, Uh, Last year, uh, what I've done over the past couple of years, I've I've chosen one word that kind of reflects part of the story of Christmas and focused on that thematically uh, over the course of of preparation for Christmas. Last year, it was hope, if I recall it correctly. The year before that, it was the word peace. And the year before that was joy or rejoicing. And I think that was in connection with finishing Philippians where we were. Our focus this year is going to be on the word believe, okay? Believe. And so in order to set us off on a good uh, foot with that, I'm going to read for us this passage from 1 John, which you uh, will know from uh, having read it yourselves, but also it's the last passage that we read in our Lessons and Carol service as well. It kind of culminates the Lessons and Carol service. So here, this portion of the living word of the living God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. From his, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Lord, we thank you for how you have inspired this word. We thank you for the countless generations of people who have delighted in this particular portion of your word. And Spirit of God, we pray that today we too might do the same, that we might hear these words and that it would cause our hearts to soar in love and in wonder at who you are and what you have done for us as your people. We delight in you. We pray that likewise and with the delight you would grant to us a deepening of our faith and of our understanding. Jesus, we pray this in your great name. Amen. All right, well, it is the season when the word believe begins to appear in all sorts of places. You will find the word believe popping up on lawns in your neighborhood or uh, up on porches and it'll be written probably in some nice little country style on a piece of wood. Uh, sometimes it's blocks that will encourage us to believe. And you will go around to uh, stores and malls and even in parking lots, if you look up, you might see the exhortation to believe. It will be written there in front of you. And if you watch any Christmas movies or you listen to uh, commercials that are on television, you will find it as well, the call to believe. So. Uh, I, like many others, have a tradition of, as, of watching the Macy's Day Parade uh, on each Thanksgiving morning as much as I can take of it. Uh, if you've tried to do that recently, it's really, really hard to take it. And so you kind of have to toggle back and forth. And you have to have a smile on your face as you toggle between the Macy's Day Parade and the Philadelphia uh, Parade. It just, it just works that way. But anyway, of course, in the Macy's Day Parade, up on the building, and the Macy's that is in uh, downtown New York, you have it written in big, huge letters that says, Believe, on the building. And then as the last float carrying Santa Claus comes uh, along the street and comes in front of Macy's, then they've got, and they're holding up all of the stars, that likewise say, believe on them. Now, as a pastor, I would love to believe that this is some kind of great societal encouragement to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, to believe what the Word of God has to say about Jesus and about His coming into the world, but I'm skeptical. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that that's actually what they mean when they put the word believe in all of these places. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that's not what they mean at all. Believe, I think, as it is intended, is to believe in something, to believe in anything, to believe in something that is perhaps mystical or fantastical. It's it's amorphous, you can't exactly define what the thing is that you're supposed to believe, but what you know is that when you believe in whatever it is you're being exhorted to believe in, it makes you warm inside. It's a good thing, it's a nice thing that you believe in, it's a helpful thing. Believe in, and I think this is probably one of the phrases that would be uh, out there, believe in Christmas magic. 
Just believe in the magic of Christmas, the wonder of Christmas. Believe in uh, peace. Believe in love. Believe in kindness. Believe in each other. Believe in the goodness that is to be found deep in each one of us. Believe, perhaps, in the innocence of childhood and the imagination of childhood and the wonder that is childhood. Believe in beauty and, of course, believe in Santa. I think that might be a part of it as well, to just kind of play on this idea. Uh, for me, when I think of the word believe, and I think of it with respect to Christmas, and I think of it in light of the things that I've just said, not the biblical sense of it, I can't help but think of the old version of uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Now, that was something our family has watched uh, every year, and I say this at least once a year parenthetically. Just so you know, I'm going to be talking about this, but I am not a curmudgeon as it relates to Christmas or to enjoying cultural things that are, uh, that are part of Christmas. So I'm not curmudgeonly about that, even though I'm talking about this right now. So Miracle on 34th Street, the uh, version that has Maureen O'Hara, um, and Natalie Wood as the little girl in the movie. And at the end of the movie, the, the Natalie Wood, uh, her character is, is kind of going, I believe, I believe, it's silly, but I believe. And of course, the idea of the movie is that she's believing that this character, this other character, is in fact the real Santa Claus. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a pastor, I'm skeptical about the whole idea of uh, just believe something, just believe anything. Believing is a good thing in and of itself, so I don't care what you believe, just believe in something. I'm skeptical of it. But I also think that there is something revealing about it. You know, when, when, the, when the Madison Avenue execs come up with a marketing campaign and an idea, they, they typically have tapped into something that is actually a, a, a desire that is real, even if they're offering the wrong solution to the desire that exists. And, and so I think this whole, we'll call it a believe campaign, it exposes a hunger, a, a, a desire, and I think it's real. I think it's captured something. It, it exposes a desire and a hunger for, for something that is more, something that is better, something that is firm, something that is perhaps transcendent or transformative, something that will deliver us from the mundaneness of our lives from the everydayness of most of the things that we do, from the bleakness of the world, from the darkness that we see around us. The exposure of our hearts is, I think, seen in the call to believe. We want something meaningful. And, and, and what we see is this heart longing, a heart ache, a, a, a heart cavity is exposed in the cry to believe. But here's the simple reality when we put that up against the word of God. And listen to the parallel here. That cavity, that heart cavity, will not be filled with presence and with lights and with nostalgia. 
That's what they're offering, and you can configure those however you'd like to, but presence, lights, and nostalgia. But what we believe the Word of God says to us is that, in fact, that heart cavity, which is real, that exists, that need to believe that exists out there, can be filled by the one who is the gift, who is the light from of old. Got it? Not by presence, not by lights, and not by nostalgia, but by the one who is the gift, the light from of old, our Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures say in the section that we just read in a passage that many of us know by heart, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. God's word tells us then not only that we should believe, indeed it does, it tells us that we should believe, but it tells us in what, or better, in whom we should believe. Credo in Jesus Christ. Credo in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm titling these uh, six sermons that are going to carry us through the day after Christmas. Credo in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. That uh, word credo is the Latin word that means I believe. Okay? Credo. I believe. And it is uh, the first word that begins the Apostles' Creed. So in Latin, the Latin text begins credo in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about uh, in this series. And of course, it's, it's easy to remember uh, credo because that's obviously where we get the word creed from. So it's not something that's unusual to our ears to hear it. And it's a great beginning of the Apostles' Creed, credo. It's an acknowledgement that the Bible tells us that what we believe and the fact that we believe is an essential thing. Faith is an essential thing. I said this in a sermon uh, a couple of years ago. But some people have wondered why, if the Apostles' Creed contains things that are foundational, why doesn't it then have something about justification by faith? And my response to that is, it's the first word. It's the very first word of the creed. It is a call on people to believe, and then, of course, supplying the content of what that is. While credo is a great word, I believe. It's a great word. It's a great idea it isn't the only word in the creed, right? That would be like the equivalent of just putting on your porch, credo, just that's what you, credo is here, credo is over here. And praise God, what it says after that is the same in Latin and the same in English as well, credo in. I believe in. And praise God that what follows that is not fill in the blank. That, there's not a blank space that comes after the word in and says, go ahead, fill, fill that in with whatever you'd like to fill it in with. Praise God that what comes next is not mushy. It's not a Hallmark card. It's not ambiguous. God teaches us what to believe in his words. And the creeds that we have are just simple summaries of what the word of God says that help us to remember the main things, the first things, the things that are essential. We need summaries in our lives. We can't say everything at the same time. We need summaries of saying things, and that's what the creeds are for us. Our faith is not amorphous. It's not vague. It's not nebulous. It has 
form and it has content and it has structure to it. And our creeds help us to see that. Uh, several years ago, I preached uh, three evening sermons on the first part of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the, the first was uh, Credo, I believe, and then the second sermon was In God the Father Almighty, and the third sermon after that was Maker of Heaven and Earth. And in one sense, what we're doing over the next uh, number of weeks is we're continuing then for uh, the, what the Creed then brings us into is we believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to use both the Apostles and the Nicene's Creed to guide us in, in both understanding and embracing, and both of those words are critical, understanding and embracing Jesus. Okay, so today our focus is this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. His only son, or as I titled the sermon, if you looked at it, the eternal son. And here's my thesis for uh, this, this sermon, this title today. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to understand him, if you want to be able to embrace Jesus, and if you want to understand the wonder of Christmas and the joy of Christmas, then we need to begin well before 2,000 years ago. If you want to understand who Jesus is, you have to go back way before that. And we can say then, along with John, that we have to begin in the beginning, right? That's where the gospel starts. You have to begin in the beginning. In the beginning, John says. And we can start there as long as we understand something. When John says, in the beginning, here in the beginning of this gospel, he's obviously quoting the beginning of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But as long as we, under, we can do that and we can appreciate that, that as long, as long as we recognize that when we're speaking of in the beginning, we actually have a reference point. We're talking about the beginning of God's work of creation. Creation has a beginning. Time has a beginning. But the point that is being made here is there's one thing that doesn't have a beginning, and that's God. God doesn't have a beginning. And what John is trying to say to us, listen, if you understand that Jesus was the one who was in creation creating things, then you have to understand that he was like God before the beginning. If in the beginning there was Jesus, then before the beginning there was also the Son of God, the Word of God. Psalm 90 says it clearly, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is the forever God. He is, according to his own testimony, the eternal I am. And he is, again, according to Scripture, the everlasting Father. First part of the creed. I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. God was a father. God was a father before there were angels. God was a father before there was 
creation, before there were mountains and hills and seas, before there were animals. God was a father. God was a father before there were people, before there were any people on the face of the earth. From all eternity, he was the eternal father of his eternally begotten son. The Apostle John, along with all of the New Testament writers, teach us, of course, that at the Incarnation, at the coming of Christ, something fresh and new and wonderful and other occurred when Jesus came into the world, when he was conceived in Mary, when he was born in Bethlehem. Indeed, if you want to think about it as either when he was conceived or when he was born, these are some of the greatest days in history. Or we could say some of the greatest days in the history of time when Jesus was conceived and when he was born. It was a time for angels to be singing and for joy and for peace and for hope. And the scriptures teach us through the Apostle Paul that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. But also what the Bible wants us to see is that what happened on that day, when Christ was either conceived or born, you can think of either day, what happened on that day was not the creation of a son for the eternal father, but the sending of a son from the eternal father. Okay, not the creation of a son for the eternal father, but the sending of a son from the eternal father. Christmas is not the beginning of the begetting, of the eternal Son of God, but it is the incarnation of the eternally begotten Son of God. The Word became flesh. That's what takes place at Christmas. And what God the Father wants us to understand is that this now incarnate Son, this for the Christmas story, this child, this baby, this incarnate Son, come late in time, late in time, behold him come. Jesus is his very Son, his only Son, the eternal one who has always been, who is the eternal Word. And therefore, the words that belong to the Father belong to the Son as well. If the Father has the name that is I am, then John says the Son has the name that is I am as well. And thus John gives us all of the I am statements about Jesus. I am the light of the world. I am the great shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the bread. He's the word. And the word is inextricably part of the one who is speaking the word. The Son has always been with the Father. He isn't a created Son, but He is the one who exists before creation. There is a beforeness that is characteristic of Jesus. Let me just show it to you in a couple of passages on uh, the front of your bulletin. You'll see this beforeness that is reflected. John 17, 5. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In our passage today, uh, John 1, uh, verse 15, has this clarification. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John is trying to say, listen, I, I know I'm before him. Sequentially, as you've experienced it, as you've seen our ministry, I have come before him, but he is actually before me, before me in rank and before me, before me. On your bulletin front as well, we have Colossians uh, 1, 15 through 17, and just the last line of that there. He is before all things. There's a beforeness that characterizes Jesus, and that's why when Jesus is having the dispute with the Pharisees, and they say to him, hey, you're, 50, you're, you're, you're 30 years old, and you say that you've seen Abraham, and Jesus is able to say to them, before Abraham was, I am. In one sense, you could, you could identify Jesus as the one who is before, before all things that you can name. The eternal God, the eternal Son with his eternal Father. And we can see this idea in verse 1 in those two phrases that are so beloved and uh, familiar to us. He was God, he was with, pardon me, he was with God and he was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That he was with God enables us to see that for all eternity there has been a distinguishability that exists between the Father and the Son. You can say with because they're distinguishable from one another, but then when you immediately follow that and the word was God, that enables us to see that there's a fundamental unity that exists between the Son. That's why Jesus can say in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. There's distinguishability between them and then there's unity between them as well. Our creeds in brevity are trying to capture and hold on to these great truths. The Apostles' Creed does it by saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. His only son. And the emphasis in the Apostles' Creed there by saying his only son is that he's unique. He is uniquely the son of God, unique in his eternality, unique in his unity with the Father, and yet his distinguishability, uniquely begotten uniquely begotten both in eternity and uniquely begotten in his incarnation in the world as well. Uh, the Nicene Creed is much more specific. Do me a favor, you've got your hymnals there, and this will be easier just to look at this with me. Turn in your hymnals to page 846. And I think on page 846, you will find the Nicene Creed. Did, did I get that page reference right? Okay, 846 in there is the Nicene Creed. It's much more specific than the apostles because of the errors and the challenges that were facing the church at that particular time. It says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, 
Now, when it says there, only begotten, it is picking up the language that is in our text. In verse 14, uh, we have it translated here, glory as of the only Son from the Father. That is the only begotten translation. Same word, same word in the Nicene, same word that is used here as well. It's also the word that is used in a passage that most of us know as well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his and I don't know how you've memorized it, one and only son, only son, only begotten son, same word and same idea that is being captured here. The Nicene Creed wants to be very clear that when we say that Jesus is the only begotten son of God, we are not referring to a normal begetting. Now, I know we don't use the word begot, beget, begotten uh, very often in common speech, but nevertheless, the idea would be pretty clear that someone was not, and then they were begotten, and then they were. Okay, so you were not existing, you were begotten, and then you were existing as a result of that. And the Nicene Creed wants to say, listen, just, just to be clear, that wasn't the case. This was no normal begetting. And in addition to not being a normal begetting, in other words, there wasn't any time when he was not, it is also not merely a recent begetting. Okay, the, the Nicene wants to say, listen, this is, we're not just talking about, the, when we say that he's God's only begotten son, we're not just talking about the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, that he is the one and only. It's true that we can talk about that begetting, and we will at the incarnation, but it's clarifying. It's trying to say, listen, when you think about the eternal son being eternally begotten of the father, you've got to go back in time. And so that's how the creed continues. Begotten of his father's father before all worlds. So this is an eternal begetting. It describes the nature of the relationship between the father and the son, not a temporal sequence, not a timeline. Okay, so in a timeline, in, in, in a normal birth situation, we understand how that works, right? There was a time when someone was not, there was a pregnancy, there was a begetting, and that was the existence of that person. But in an eternal begetting, there's no beginning to that. It's describing the nature of the relationship that the son is always proceeding from the father, and that the relationship is always that, the relationship of a father and of a son. There was no time when he was not. And it clarifies one more thing, that the distinguishability that exists between the Father and the Son does not destroy the unity that is there as well. This is what the creed is trying to say. It might, it, it, having heard that, you might think, okay, well, these are, these are different things. If, if you can distinguish them in that way, if you can describe Father and Son, maybe they're different things. And so it continues, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. That is, all things were made by this eternal Son, which of course is, again, taking us right back into John, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now that's a mouthful. I recognize that. I, I, I get it. That's, that's heavy on a Thanksgiving weekend. 
But it's what we believe. It's, it's the substance of our faith. It's trying to understand who is this Jesus in whom we believe. He is God's only son. He is God's eternal son. He is God's eternally begotten son. He's the object of our faith. That's what we confess and that's what we believe because that is what the word of God teaches to us. And if you want to understand the wonder of Christmas, I know it's a lot to swallow, but let that ruminate around in your mind. Think about the fact that from all eternity, what has taken place is, is that an eternal father has always loved his eternal son. I've quoted this book before, but one book asked the question, what was God doing before there was creation? And the answer is loving. Loving. The Father was loving the Son. The Son was loving the Father. The Spirit was loving the Son. The Spirit loving the Father. Just put all those around the circle. What was the eternal God doing? The eternal God was in a perfect love, in perfect love and glory with the other members of the Trinity. And it's that love that overflows when he sends that Son. Jesus is the only begotten, the utterly unique, the eternal Son of God. He is the only one. So listen then with wonder to these words. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. When you're the only son, when it all belongs to you, when you have perfect authority and perfect love with your Father from all eternity, then the inheritance is yours to share. The family is yours to increase. That's what we've been brought into. That's the significance of this. This isn't just to titillate your minds with respect to the eternality of the Son. It's so that we see the love between the Son and the Father and the right of the Son to call you children. You believe in Him, in Him, in His name, and you get that title placed upon you as well. Lord God, uh, such things are too high for us, uh, even though I have used as best as possible words to explain it. We, I acknowledge that it goes quickly beyond our grasp, our ability to hold it, to conceive all of it, and we thank you for that. We delight in it. Your ways aren't our ways. But we thank you for what you've revealed, because these things belong to us and allow us to delight in you. More than that, by believing, they allow us to receive the right to become the children of God. That is an unbelievable right that you have given to us. We claim it only in Jesus' name. Amen.